<laughs> anxious queer energy. It's gay panic. It's just, it's, it's just gay panic. Welcome back, dreamers, for another serving of the Dole Up in Dreams podcast. As always, I'm your host, Maddie Limerick. Stories of badass women have always been some of my absolute favorites. So in connection with the release of its live-action remake set for Disney Plus on September 4th, we're taking a deep dive into one of the most badass women in the Disney canon, Mulan. Y'all need to strap in because this is a wild ride. Based on the Chinese legend of Hua Mulan, this was the 36th animated picture from the studio and was coming in the wake of heavily lackluster fiscal and audience responses to Hunchback and Hercules. The studio did not have high expectations for its success and questioned if it could return to the blockbuster success of the early Disney renaissance. The path to Milan begins with the opening of Walt Disney feature animation Florida, opening in 1989, with a small staff of about 40 to 50 employees with an original purpose to create animated shorts and lend assistance to features being produced on the West Coast. But following the success of the early 90s films, Disney execs were convinced to open Florida's operations wider for its first independent feature. Around this time, the company was developing interest in working with Asian legends, and also optioned several books from author Robert D. Sansui, as well as put into production a straight-to-video film titled China Doll. Now, China Doll followed an oppressed and miserable Chinese girl who gets whisked away by a British prince charming for a life of perfection and splendor in the West. Yeah, insert that eye roll here. But Thomas Schumacher approached Sui to see if he had any other stories that inspired him, and he turned in a manuscript adaptation of the Chinese poem, The Song of Fa Mulan. Ultimately, Disney combined both of these to move forward with Mulan. Barry Cook was with the Florida studio since its opening and directed the Roger Rabbit short Trial Mix-Up. And after lunch with Schumacher, he was offered an option for feature products. One that followed a Scottish fairy tale that had a dragon, or Mulan. Cook, knowing of the deep connections to dragons in Chinese lore, he encouraged the studio to actually add a dragon to Mulan as well, but wanted to take the Scottish tale. But after some pressuring from Schumacher, Cook relented and decided to take Mulan. So Cook was set to be the main director of the picture, and shortly after, Tony Bancroft was added as the co-director following recommendation from Rob Minkoff, the director of The Lion King. The production team spent a month in China in 1994 to research legends, art styles, architecture, the grand scenery to immerse the picture in a fully fleshed out design concept that felt specifically Chinese. Now, the script work started, and because of the combination of the China Doll script and the poem of Fa Mulan, the first approach to the film was a Tootsie-style romantic comedy where Mulan was betrothed to Li Shang, whom she had never met, leading to her having a tantrum and destroying her legacy stone that her father had carved for her and running away from home. But after some story birds were finished, Chris Sanders was brought in to completely overhaul the story, dropping the romantic comedy approach and making it a war-based action adventure, making it more faithful to the original legend. This first developed what was called Sequence 6, which to me is one of the most iconic moments in the film. It's interesting to know that it was the first bit of animation actually made for the final picture. 
Now, sequence six is Mulan taking her father's orders to serve, cutting her hair, and leaving. You might note that this section of the score is different from the rest of the film, and it's because they used existing music from another film. But again, I think it's still the most iconic, iconic moments of the movie. They wanted to show a silent approach, that you don't always need a musical theater song or a narrative for the audience to follow the story of the film. Though I think this is a point to note that because some of the devout Christians working on the film, most notably the co-director Bancroft, it was decided to avoid any connections or exploration of Buddhism to the story. Originally, Mushu and Cricky were not part of the story, but as development continued, Roy Disney stepped in and pushed to add these two characters. And as we know, in every Disney movie, there's always several animal sidekicks, and typically this is in order to push plush and toy sales. It was noted that over time, everyone hated Cricky, and at several points was pushed to almost remove him from the film, stating, what is the cricket doing at this time? And everyone's like, just cut the cricket. But Michael Eisner loved him, and so he never got removed, which I think he's cute. Because of his work on other Disney films, Steven Schwartz was attached to compose Mulan and had three songs completed, all of which were removed when the story went in a more serious direction, when deep enemy the pod Jeffrey Katzenberg approached Schwartz to compose an upcoming picture for DreamWorks entitled Prince of Egypt. Now, Schwartz agreed, but due to hurt feelings and some honest pettiness, Disney threatened to remove his name from Pocahontas and Hunchback prior to their release. Now, Schwartz wouldn't be bullied, and he refused. So Disney relented, and he went to do Prince of Egypt, which I have to note is one of my favorite animated film scores, and I would argue is greater than almost any other Disney score. Now, you might take me down for that, but that's my opinion. Because of his demo for a panned musical adaptation of Anne Rice's Cry to Heaven, Matthew Wilder was brought in to compose the musical score, and David Zippel was brought to compose the lyrics. Now, the film score went through several many composers, I believe six, before it was decided that Jerry Goldsmith, who suddenly became available, would be signed onto this project. Now, several of those other composers were Thomas Newman and even Danny Elfman. Leah Salonga had worked with Disney as the singing voice of Princess Jasmine in Aladdin, so she was initially signed to be both the speaking and singing voice of Mulan. But as they went through some early recording, her voice as Ping just wasn't low enough and didn't work for the company. So following her success on the Joy Luck Club, Ming Nguyen was brought in to be the speaking voice of Mulan, but Salonga was kept to be her singing voice. Now for the speaking voice of Li Shang, Asian superstar B.D. Wong was hired, with Donny Osmond hired to be his singing voice following the company not casting him in Hercules for, after coming in for like three different casting sessions. Now, what was interesting is Osmond followed and studied B.D. Wong's speaking pattern so that he could really get the timbre right so his singing voice matched the speaking voice. Now, after some criticism of the company with Aladdin not hiring actors of color to voice the roles, this movie was an attempt to move in a more ethical casting practice. Now, you have to start somewhere, and I like to think we've gone beyond, but obviously we haven't. Now, Mushu, the comedic dragon, was the center of a search for a Robin Williams-like comedian with top-notch ability. 
So apparently that means Eddie Murphy. And so he was approached, and he even scoffed at the idea of working on a Disney film, but he eventually signed. But he refused to record anywhere other than his New Jersey home. Yeah, we'll get to that in the actual episode. With a budget of over 90 million, Mulan grossed 120 million domestically and over 304 million worldwide, and was the second highest grossing family film of the year behind A Bug's Life. This was the first Disney movie since Lion King to return to the physical success of the early Disney Renaissance. Now, critically, Rotten Tomatoes has the film at about an 86% approval rating with critics, which averages out to be a 7.5 out of 10. I, again, don't agree with this, but a lot of the reviewers actually felt that this movie doesn't live up to the rest of the Renaissance, which I have myself to scoff at. Now, talking about ratings, there's something I want to address before we get into the show. The much-anticipated live-action remake was set to release in March of 2020, but due to the COVID virus outbreak, it was indefinitely pushed back. But in the last two weeks, it was announced that it would be released for a premium streaming fee of $30 on Disney Plus on September 4th because of the continued worldwide impact of the COVID virus. Now, on the surface, that amount seems like a lot, and the internet is up in arms calling the company money-grubbing and distasteful. Now, when you look the movie up on Google, as I always do to research, it already has thousands of reviews from uninformed people upset at the accurate Asian depictions, the quote-unquote anti-white sentiment, and more misinformed information of the company as a whole. And I just wanted to say that we are not connected with Disney in any way other than being loyal and loving fans who do quite often have issue with the company. That we're in unprecedented times. And if a company can't release the films that have been very expensive to make and make any money off of them, what kind of future do we have for film? If you break the $30 down for a family of three, four, or larger, it is so much cheaper and far safer than going to movie theaters. And I'm sure a lot of the parents out there love the idea of not having to drag small children to a very expensive afternoon at the movies because you smell that popcorn and you just want it. For those of us out there on our own, I, I get it, it's 30 is a lot right now. But I want to encourage you that if you love Disney movies, get together with some of your friends because I know they're all sharing your Disney Plus account. I see you all and I have no qualms with that. <laughs> have everybody throw in $5 to watch it. Pass around your Disney Plus login. This movie looks amazing. And while I'm not going to get into some political connections of the main actress who's playing Mulan because I am uninformed to have that opinion. This movie looks amazing and looks like a way to approach remaking films that should have been closer to its original legend to begin with. And yeah, there's not a fun musical score, there's no Mushu, Kriki, and Li Shang isn't the love interest because they didn't exist in the original legend. So let's give it a shot because this could be a really beautiful movie and it could make or break Disney movies in two or three years because 
a lot of people don't understand how film works. I, even after working in film, don't always understand how film works. But I think we're going to see a dry period for film and television in a year or two because we couldn't make movies during this time and there's not money to make them. So give it a shot, please, if you care about the future of this company and other film companies. Now we'll make a man out of you right after this. Hey. Oh, hey, Jeff. What's going on, guys? Oh, you know, talking about Superman. Oh, cool. I could talk about Superman. I could talk some more about Superman. We know. I'll bet a few people would want to get in on this. I'm down. You know it. That sounds like fun. I'll do it. Cool. Let's do it. We can call the show Men of Steel. And you can find it at CertainPOV.com. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Yay. Welcome back dreamers so today i'm so excited you all asked for him and i'm so excited to have this literal bicon on the show with me today kevin welcome to the show yeah, so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is so much fun because even before someone pitched you, I've been following you on Instagram, I think, for like two or three years because I spent years on like Ranger Board. Yeah, yeah. And like all the Power like Power Ranger message boards and you're in and, and one of our LGBT um, threads years ago, like in some of your like earliest like Blue Ranger pictures you got taken, they pop up on there. And so I was like, oh, this guy, <laughs> one, he's super handsome. You all can't see him. You should go follow him. He's another uh, super dream boat that we got on the show um but also you do this fun mix of like disney with other nerddoms and you do like a lot of power ranger stuff which i love um and so why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself uh sure uh <laughs> i guess i've always just been kind of that geeky person uh, mm-hmm. i didn't i came into comic books a little bit late but i've always been attached to attracted to like uh that type of supernatural or powers or uh, mm-hmm. fan, fan, fantasy, uh, so it was that's was something that always came naturally, I guess. <laughs> um, me, I do a lot of acting as well. I've have done theater. Um, that I I wanted to do younger than I got to do it, but I've always mm-hmm. had that kind of passion as well. Uh, and then um, the modeling and stuff, just that that was pure accidental, and I, I, nice. I ran with it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, yeah, don't, don't, don't turn down. It's, uh, <laughs> Willem Belli uses this quote that I, I believe is Oscar Wilde. It's some, or it's some, oh, Truman Capote. It's Truman Capote, okay. which is never say no to being on television, having your picture taken or having sex. And those are like, the th- and I went, you know what? So I've been, you know, that's kind of a mantra of my life. So a lot of my friends who also have gotten into modeling, it's just like, they're like, I fell into it and I kind of do it because it's fun and it's money. And I was like, listen, do your thing. Do whatever, <laughs> do whatever makes you happy. <laughs> right. So when I reached out to you, because a lot of the dreamers at home, when I asked who they would like to have that are like social media influencers and people are online, your name came up, which I was like, yes, that's awesome. I was um, super humbled. I'm like, what? <laughs> Me? <laughs> yeah. And so why don't you, so I've seen you do some great gender bank cosplays, um, as well that are like specifically Disney and so like why don't you tell the audience a little about a little bit about I'm still learning how to say that a little bit about <laughs> your influence of like Disney on you as just like a nerd but also as like a musical theater performer and just a, a person yeah uh I, I like to blend like Disney into a lot of my 
my lifestyles. Plus, I'm, I'm going to Disney World all the time, but I like to mix a little bit of sexy with a little bit of that Disney or a little bit of that nerdy uh, twist. Um, and then the gender bend, that came because I, uh, there was, I was in a group of people or I got connected mm-hmm. with a group of people that mm-hmm. do that kind of thing. And I'm like, sure, that sounds fun. Um, so I did a gender bend Megara, uh, mm-hmm. my first D23, um, which is really cool. I had a, a, a custom maker make my outfit and I had a wig That's maker. Awesome. And <laughs> the, Okay, who did that wig? Because the wig is awesome. It was Barry. <gasps> Barry. Barry yeah. does the best men's wigs. Like, yes, I, yes. I have some amazing friends who do like big drag wigs, like a Bobby pins shout out to Bobby pins does amazing work. <laughs> and like the drag race rests on the shoulders of Bobby pins and Florence Dali the last like two seasons. Um, <laughs> but Barry does some of the most amazing, like men's cosplay wigs that I've yeah. ever seen. I, I wanted to get him to commission something like a year ago to start cosplaying again, because this work is just so, so good. Right. And so I was, I was hoping you were going to say Barry. Yeah. Barry's um, great. <laughs> great. So I, I interrupted you. So keep going. Uh, he did my Aladdin wig cause I did, I cosplayed Aladdin as well. Mm-hmm. And then he did my Merida wig, which was like, I think two, two or three wigs put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that was just oh, yeah, like, absolutely. you know, crazy frizzy, you know, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, I, I think it started as a different style than ended up with. <laughs> Because it kind of changed up the day. Uh, but that was really fun. With my last D23, I did the Genderman Merida. Uh, I think I want to do Flynn Rider next. Do it. Yeah, I want to do Flynn Rider, and I want to do... Uh, <laughs> Tarzan's kind of in there, but I think I might start with Tarzan's dad. <laughs> oh, because you look exactly like Tarzan's right. dad. Literally right. just... Just, just well, trim, the be- trim, the, you know, trim the beard a little bit. Well, and if you do Flynn Rider, you have to get Jimmy Sherfy to do Rapunzel with you. Oh, like, yeah. Like, it'd be the cutest thing. Uh, <laughs> I love Jimmy, other, yeah. Uh, yeah, a deep friend of the uh, pod, Jimmy Sherfy. He's uh, on another <laughs> upcoming episode as well. Um, great. So I reached out to you, and I gave you the option of kind of what we'd already done to give you an idea of where we wanted to start. And you threw Mulan out, and I got so <laughs> excited so I know why you picked Mulan. Why don't you tell everyone at home about why you picked Mulan? <laughs> I picked Mulan because of the bicon, the bisexual icon Shang, um, and it's just it's been this growing internet theory that took off, and people are just like, "Yes, he's definitely a bisexual." I can tell you why. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, "Yeah," uh, and it's it's just great because I like to have representation. Representation matters, and. Uh, and especially in a Disney movie, that's always exciting. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take it, and I wanted to just have that moment. <laughs> also, he is a literal fucking dreamboat. Like, yeah, he's I, pretty sexy. He's pretty yeah. really sexy, yeah. Which we, can, which we can actually talk about, of why it's really important that he, one, it, it, you know, he spends most of his the movie shirtless, which, you know, he's also training warriors <laughs> and things. But I also like to add as a caveat that I always see Mulan as, like, a non-binary or, like, trans icons so like while they don't use that nomenclature obviously also because like this was right after we even started using the word transgender like i mean that's for a lot of people like it was like 1994 when transgender was like pinned and started being used but like because you know it's she just does so much to fight against that binary that i just as a non-binary person i like to be like mulan's non-binary this movie's just fucking queer i love everything about it (laughs) (laughs) um Great. So let us jump into this because I have so much to say about this movie because it's been a little while since I watched it. So, and I watched it and then I actually watched it again. Um, 
And so I like to start with like the idea of production and design and move through into like script and performance and like yeah, yeah. the movie overall. So like what are some moments that like production wise that just make this movie for you that make this movie stand out? One of my favorite uh, scenes is when she, you know, is sitting in the rain. And right before, right before she decides to go, and you know, and then the music goes, and then she's like walking down, and like all the, mm-hmm. all those little effects, all these little shadows, and the lighting, mm-hmm. and, and the music is just really a great, uh, great little sequence there that I always enjoyed. I'm <laughs> glad you brought that up because it's in my notes of like one. Yeah. The score in that moment oh, doesn't God. sound like any other score no. in the movie. And it's kind of okay because it sounds very much of the time. It's very mid nineties, but it's so emotional and moving and it sets a tone for what the rest of the movie is going to be like. So it amps us up. And then they do this great storytelling thing where we're kind of on pins and needles because we know that like she could literally be put to death if she is found out. Um, and like, so the audience is very tense. And so a great storytelling aspect is when you let the audience laugh with with you um, because they're going to laugh to relieve that tension. And so they give you all this tension and then they let us laugh about it. We get to giggle when, when she right. gets to the camp. Um, and so for me, that was also one of my, my kind of first moments. But I think also for me, it's from the moment we begin the beginning credits of the beautiful brush stroking yeah. Yeah. on the background to opening up. I, I was seventh grade I think when this movie came out in movie theaters and so I went to see it with my little sibling her friend and my mom and her friend's mom and I just remember sitting in the theater and I was like well this is gonna be cool I like Disney movies um but and then just from that moment being speechless of just because then you launch right into this action normally we we get a very quiet moment of like opening into you know Belle coming out of her house and this is right after what um, conservative people in the 90s called the Dark Age of Disney, which most real Disney people know the Dark Age of Disney was in the (laughs) 70s and 80s. Um, But, you know, I remember I was a a deeply Southern Baptist kid growing up, and so, like, when Gay Days was, like, publicly happening and Hunchback and Hercules happened, I wasn't allowed to do anything Disney. And so we didn't do anything Disney for, like, two or three years. I mean, we never went to the parks, but we couldn't buy anything, couldn't watch movies. And so this was the first movie we saw in theaters after all of this. Um, And I believe this marks the first movie that Michael uh, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg did not work on at all, which, as part of the pod now, I say good. Get rid of Jeffrey Hansen. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's one of those that from the very beginning, they used like Pocahontas, Hunchback, to and Mulan to reprogram the tone of what mm-hmm. you expect out of a Disney movie because then we would get like Tarzan after this. And Tarzan, again, set another tone. And so this would also be the last musical for quite a few years. I believe Home on the Range would be oh, the next yeah. musical after this. Um And so I think from the beginning, they set their stakes at what story we're telling. And so like Mulan as like a woman and bringing honor to her family for me is the B plot where they actually take who's going to protect China as the A plot. And that actually really alleviated because to me, the romance is like the C plot. Oh, for sure. For for Mulan. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things that they set a tone from the very beginning that lets us know for the kind of movie we're into. And it's not something they've done before. And so that I really, really appreciated. Right. It's like, here, this is war. <laughs> yeah. This is, it's, we're going to make it known right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, I think it's just visually stunning. Like, some of the characters 
look like we expect from Disney movies, but generally, even in Aladdin, Disney movies looked very Western. They looked very white-centric, Eurocentric in, because even Jafar had more Eastern features because they wanted you to know he was the villain, because even the Sultan and Jasmine and Aladdin had big anime eyes, and they looked Western. They just happened to be brown with black hair. And this was the first movie where I looked in those scenes, because this is also a movie where they, you could tell they focused on all of the little people in the background and the children all had different facial structures and eye shapes. And they did a nice job in, especially for Disney's kind of racist, shitty past that we know they're <laughs> right. of. And I right, scream right. about, I scream about the show. <laughs> you could tell they did a lot to like, make sure there was some like authentic design. They were trying. They, they were trying. Yeah, yeah. And, and they really focused on architecture and they focused on color. Color in this movie is so important and so vibrant. Um, that just really, really helps tell this story. Uh, now, have you ever read or have any experience with the, Ballad of Mulan, which is the original Chinese proverb about her. All I I might have read it once, um, mm-hmm. but mostly it's just like I know it's from that. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. really I don't know if I've ever I yeah, can't remember, no. recall anything. I haven't either, and I really yeah. I I've really wanted to, but it's actually hard to find a decent translated version of it. Okay. Um, but and it's a, and it's actually a adaptation of another story in a in a in an old like Peking opera, Beijing opera, which I think is really interesting. And haven't they made like live action adaptations in China? Of the- oh yes. Sure. Yes. Yeah. That's why this was the first Western adaptation yeah. of Mulan. But, um, they, there have been lots of, there've been, um, I believe opera, there's an opera about her. There are, um, there are, you know, there are other movies and things. And so this was the first one that was like Western. It was certainly the first one that was animated. Um, and uh, you know she has a very deep and rich past, so I'm going to go into some of that in the pre-show, so we don't have to talk a ton about it now. But I do think it's interesting because she's also, she and Pocahontas are the first two Disney princesses who are not actually Disney princesses. Because Pocahontas in the structure, if you put an, a Eurocentric view on the structure of like the chieftain's daughter, she is a princess, but actually... It's so much more diverse right. and, and dynamic than that, and also it would have been a matriarchal society, so there's a chance that she actually would have led that. It's a thing. Also, she's 14. <laughs> I could scream about that one all day as well. I mean, but right. you know, this one, even when she, you know, even at the end, we assume she marries Shang, Li Shang, and but she, he's never going to be emperor. She is never. So it's interesting that she's included in the princess, but I think it's so important that she is. Also, because while we started giving the princesses agency with Ariel. Um, and then each princess got more and more, though they were kind of playing archetypes. Um, you know, Belle, it was okay to be intelligent, and Jasmine, it was okay to be, to talk back. Um, <laughs> Mulan, I mean, and then you had Esmeralda, who's not part of this, who leads a literal revolution. Um, you have Mulan, who le- you know, becomes a soldier, which is really, really important for what they're doing for her. And it's Disney flipping their entire formula and structure on its head in a way they hadn't before and i mean if you were going to do it the 90s was when you do it right i mean it was that time (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and so i mean i could go on what are some other things that really stand out for you that sets this film apart because this is the it's we're nearing the end of the disney renaissance this is 1998 the renaissance would end in 2000 um so like 
attendance and money had started waning. The, uh, the Animal Kingdom opened this year, so like the parks were not doing well. Disney Disney was not doing well, all things considered, because we were not four in their years prime. after Lion yeah. King. They, well, <laughs> and you know what? They were in their prime, but at the same time, by not in their prime. Disney movies, we'd had Lion King, but it had been four years. So, but what are some other things that just really make this stand out for you as a, a Disney Renaissance film? I just like the, the way that it challenges gender, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I mean, we talk a whole thing to talk about, but uh, they, they make it, they, more of the story is to blend masculine and feminine and together to be your, your most, your strongest self. And so I like that they take, you know, these social constraints that are these social expectations that they give for women as well as men and mm-hmm. make it okay to flip it on its head and, yeah. and join those together. Um, so that's always very powerful. You know, they have like the fan and they have the sword and they have mm-hmm. you know, those things, all those imageries. Uh, I know a lot of people had problems with Mushu. Like a lot of the, um, mm-hmm. but I, I could, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going mean, to say going back, um, this, I really still like this movie. I'm going to preface this with that. There are some things that squarely put it in like 1998, um, <laughs> and kind of socially Eddie Murphy. Was acceptable. <laughs> Eddie Murphy. Um, yeah. So Production-wise, I think so. We can talk about casting before we get into, like, story and cast. Um, But, like, we have Ming-Na Wen, who is a badass, who is the voice of Mulan. And we would have B.D. Wong. B.D. Wong, so good. And George Takai and Pat Morita. All these queer people, great. (laughs) Yeah, oh, lots of queer people in this movie. But it's, you know, there were a lot of Asian people in this, but it was another of Disney was like, you're Asian, that's enough, right? <laughs> um, but to put Eddie Murphy in, and you know, he was gaining speed again after his career had bottomed out a little. And so it's interesting, this was just before Shrek. He had already been working on Shrek, but Shrek would come out, I believe, a year or two after this. Um, but it seems interesting to me that, like, it makes sense to have a guardian, spirit guardian from her ancestors, like that is... Very traditional, if you're doing a Western version of an Eastern thing, you're going to cram that in there because it seems right. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's watching it, it's one of those that I went, how much of these moments did we actually lose because Eddie probably was allowed to ad-lib in the booth? And while it's funny, it's not as effective as, like, Robin Williams is the genie. Right. Where this, you know, you could still hear some of his really shitty old comedy creeping in, like from his raw era. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's funny. And Musha, like, they're just, I will never not um, just dishonor on you, dishonor on, on your cat, cow, dis- yeah. dishonor <laughs> on your whole family. Like, that will all, that will eternally be one of, like, my top three Disney quotes of all time. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, it's one of those things that, like, that's also me going now, like, learning that Eddie Murphy was kind of a shitty person person um and i'm sure he was difficult to work on but when you're doing animated films something else i did like leah salonga was brought in to be mm, the voice yeah. of mulan the singing voice of mulan which she had already been the singing voice of jasmine, jasmine. and she had won a tony award for miss saigon already like she is she's a musical theater powerhouse yeah. i worship at the house of leah salonga like, <laughs> um, like which i know as another musical theater person like you can you know and it's one of those things that like she's so good and reflections is just so beautiful and it's another moment kind of like a Nikonini Rose in 
uh, Princess, Princess the Frog, yeah. I wanted her to sing more because we know what she can do. Right. Like, Anika also had won a Tony Award before she was, uh, you know, Tiana. And so I was just like, give this bitch more to do. Let her sing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, but it's one of those things where you could see they were starting to take the feedback they got in Aladdin when they got ripped apart for putting white people in all of these roles and kind of cherry picking the Arabian Nights with some Chinese culture and cramming it together. Um, and so, you know, they were, but you know, then we also had Donny Osmond as the singing voice of Li Shang. Right. Um, like, though <laughs> make a man out of you is one of the biggest bops of the Disney Renaissance, like top three for, for me sure. again. Um, you know, but it's, You could tell they focused into what made classical Chinese painting, like screen paintings, because so much of the movie looked like those forced perspective flat Chinese paintings and um, uh, screens and things that really kind of popped out at you. And this was, to me, one of the first times where they really effectively combined digital animation with the hand-drawn. And it was... It's just so... Like, I will always reference the avalanche scene is just... Or all of the smoke... The smoke being stylized. And, like, it's just so... Because even... Um, even the villain, oh God, why do I always forget? Shan Yu. Shan Yu, yeah. Shan Yu, like when the, he and his men attack that village and the, the battalion comes up on it and they just find the doll, how the wind blows, how the, like, it's just, it looks All these little pieces, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where like, I thought with Lion King and Hunchback and Pocahontas, And Hercules, Disney movies actually started getting more and more beautiful as they learned how to combine those two and really perfect now that they were re-employing so many hand-drawn animators, which they would then fire everyone like five or six years later, (laughs) which breaks my heart. Um, But, you know, it's another thing that just this world is so rich and you know what's happening. You know where you are before we even get into those moments. And like, again, we're going to reference I'll Make a Man Out of You. The cinematography they they animated this as if it was being filmed in live action and it's so like everybody jumping at once and I'll make a man out of you and her climbing with the sun coming up over the camp. It's one of those Ugh. that just I it, it, yeah, that was I was watching it at like, <laughs> like two my, in the morning. My heart, the colors. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching it at like two in the morning and my family was sleeping and so I was like screaming into a pillow, just going, ah, ah. It's just so beautiful um but then you know also we talk about like harvey firestein's in this and you had some like white people playing periphery roles but like harvey was a very popular person he had done uh uh uh, mrs doubtfire for touchstone and and um you know they were he hadn't done hairspray yet uh but like you know harvey had done torch song trilogies and you know so harvey was well known and he's a great character voice that's the thing is he has a great character voice but it's definitely distinct you know. Oh, oh, it's very, very distinct. <laughs> oh, it's like every time I go see a production of Hairspray, I just hope and pray the director goes, you know, just do what Harvey did. It was good. <laughs> I, uh, I was up for the national tour years ago. Oh, well, yeah. And at one point they were like, can you, you're doing a very soft and sweet voice. Can you gruff us? Can you Harvey it up a little? And I went, I'm not getting this job. <laughs> I'm, just like, I'm not getting this job. But you know, it's, it's another thing of all of these moments are, they're distinctive because they're also old formula where we have like the trio. Cause you have the, like the Mrs. Potts, Lumiere Cogsworth trio with her three friends. And then you've got 
tons of characters for plush sales between Mushu, Little Brother, her horse, who I always Creaky. forget his name, and Creaky, which yeah. I just, oh, I just put it away. I just bought a little Creaky the other day uh, at the store. It's something else I love right now is we have Mulan, Mulan merchandise in stores again. I love it. Yay. And it's of, like the animated stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, I guess we love this. It's great. It looks beautiful visually. Um, and I think the soundtrack, not even just the, so the score is fine. The musical songs are fun and they're amp they're like bops, but the problem is some of it feels a little like it's white people <laughs> writing Asian sounding music. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's but it's also maybe very just specific choices in instruments and orchestration. And so um again, you know, it's one of those things that it still works for this so beautifully, and I really love it. Um again. Is it, is it even a road trip if you don't have a car full of Disney fans singing I'll make a man out of you while you're driving to Disney property? Obviously like just, not. No. It's just obvious, obviously not. Right. You need that. Um, you need, like, eye to eye. You need, like, all these oh, things. Oh, zero to hero. Yeah. Like, well, you, know. you know what? You know what? Maybe we'll, on our Spotify, maybe we'll put together, like, a Disney Bops playlist. That'll be so good. That'd be good. Um, but, yeah, so I think top to bottom, um, most of this worked. And something else about this, this was one of three movies of the it was one it was the first of three features that was produced primarily at Disney's MGM Studios in Florida. So they did like 90% of the animation there, which I love Hollywood Studios that's, and that's Disney great. MGM so much. Yeah. Do you remember and when I, they had the Mushu like movie? They had a Mushu movie there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and like now it's Star Wars, but like not well, like Launch Bay, but like you right. could walk through and watch them animate and do all these things and it's you know, it's a different time. I think everything here does work now, but you know, it was one of those things that it did um, it, it, it really set down as one of those things that like, it made sense that this worked at the time. Um, and you know, it even got its own sequel, um, which has some musical bops. I don't think I've watched it in a very long time. I can't even remember what happens, but, um, it's like, was it, I want to be like other girls, that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. so is there anything like from the production side of just like technicalities and things before we get into plot that just like maybe didn't work for you upon rewatch? You just go, I don't know. And it's not even so here. We try not to say good or bad. we like to right. say it was an effective choice or an ineffective choice um, because, you know, good or bad is subjective where I think if we talk dramaturgically mm-hmm. um, uh, of what maybe did or did not work for you there's one thing that kind of bothers me a little bit <laughs> yeah um, yeah it's it's at the end of um a girl worth fighting for mm-hmm. and they have like her and chan po and ling and yao and they're all singing but then they have like the rest of the men and they all look exactly the same they're all identical like the car yes. out. i'm like mm, yeah. like really <laughs> yeah you had to do that yeah those were those moments where i went oh you could tell you were like oh we don't we we don't <laughs> have the time to take and animate everyone individually for a musical number. So yeah. we're going to focus on the principles and then everyone else will look. Th- yeah. I agree. I agree with you there. There were some of those moments where I think you could tell they were like, where can we not cut corners, but where can we effectively use our time? And it's got like, I know I've directed enough musicals and I've been <laughs> in enough musicals. Choreography of real humans is a nightmare process. I can only imagine what it's like to, <laughs> animate choreography because it's moving your body in a way that is atypical um because again uh people who can dance it is a genetic abnormality it's like people that can sing our bodies aren't actually supposed to be able to do this so when you understand that musicality but an animator isn't necessarily kind of understand what you know what a fluid motion should look like in dance versus um 
and just walking. And so, you know, it's one of those things that it's always, I was watching Beauty and the Beast last night for another episode. And it's when they pull back to the big shots and there's choreography. I went, oh, y'all cut some corners here. <laughs> but it also makes sense when, how do you, how do you animate a moving fork? So like, how do you animate a fork doing choreography? It's the same way. How do you effectively choreograph, you know, 300 <laughs> men in the same armor doing choreography? It's, it's, it is a, it's a definite animated challenge that they would have yeah. to overcome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have much. A lot of it is, and I get that it's the time and they were also, you could tell they were trying to sell this as a boy and girl movie. They were trying to sell this as like, in, in the realm of like, because Hunchback was not sold as a girl's movie. Hercules right. was not sold as a girl's movie. But this with a female lead, they wanted boys and girls to come see it. So you could tell they were really trying to work and also give the parents something, which is why, I, I guarantee it's why Eddie Murphy was in the movie. Eddie Murphy and B.D. Wong. Or not B.D. Wong. Uh, B.D. Wong, maybe. But uh, George Takai. Yeah, I, yeah. Because those are those are recognizable names that an adult will come see. And if you got Eddie Murphy, you know it's going to be funny. Um, and so at the end of the day, though, I will say this is one of the most terrifying Disney movies because Lee, Sh uh, um, Sean Yu is He's like a vampire. Blooded. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, mm, this is very mm, subject, mm, not subjective in the way that people from Mongolia are the legacy of that, but it's also deeply rooted in kind of the Chinese tradition. So I, you know, it's, that's, I, know. I don't want to, you know, I can't always wear my SJW pants. It's fine. <laughs> I got to Got to take my pants off at some point. You know, whatever you works, know. right? Whatever. <laughs> yeah, listen, listen, right now when nobody's working, there's a whole lot of OnlyFans popping up around here, so <laughs> I can't say anything. Um, I, I do not have an OnlyFans, everyone. That is, that is, I am, I am for a niche market, so <laughs> not making too much money. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that he's scary and his guys are scary, and they do things in a way that, like, they do it off screen, but when he goes... A little girl is missing her doll, oh, and God. you're like, and you're like, oh no! Like, no. And, they, <laughs> and they do that very Disney thing where it's it's that classic musical theater, classic Shakespeare thing where the violence happens off stage, off screen because it is more disastrous and devastating to an audience for yeah. yeah. Um, and so you know it's one of those things, but um, so you know it's the, those are wonderful moments but they're just it's I think it's also maybe how the three friends are portrayed they're just some moments where it is just so deeply misogynistic and patriarchal and you know they try to have her be like oh, we're changing the patriarchy <laughs> um, and you know they're doing it in the best way you could in the 90s this is a very Ally McBeal way of doing it and so it is hard <laughs> to watch now so there's some of that where I went oh Mulan didn't hold up well in, in some ways like sociopolitically but I think across the board it's still great um, and there are some characters that I know are there for comic relief like the matchmaker um, oh, yeah. who is just no. Ripe with Asian oh, that's he. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so oh god, but it's so good. It's just so I would have loved Robin Williams to play that character. Oh yeah. But I mean that's when he was still fighting with Disney because Disney fucked Robin Williams. Uh if you want to hear more about that, uh tune into our uh go back and listen to our Aladdin episode with the uh, DJ Matt Stormageddon as the guest. Uh, I cry I in the episode. It's awkward. Um, <laughs> no. But, uh, no. Well, I mean, it's it's hard not to cry when you think about Alan Menken. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But I think it's interesting that, like, Stephen Schwartz or, um, uh, uh, well, I meant, uh, 
Howard Ashman, not Alan. I was like, oh, um, uh, Alan, tears. Howard Ashman, uh, tears. All of them. Uh, <laughs> your boy. <laughs> um, but like, I'm I'm shocked that it wasn't a more prolific like musical theater writer. Now I will say. This is back when the American musical was amping up again because the 90s were a wasteland for American musical theater. There were some years we had like exactly four shows open and all four got nominated for best musical. Or, yeah, it was it was a hard time. Like Sideshow couldn't run, even though Sideshow is a great show. But like Rent had opened and Lion King and Beauty and the Beast were open, but like we were getting this new form of musical theater. And so Disney had kind of turned and started looking at Disney theatrics. And so it's interesting though that because uh, Hercules and Pocahontas and uh, Hunchback have such beautiful scores, I don't know if it's those three in a row were done by those two and then they were just so exhausted. They were like, I can't. I, <laughs> I need a break. Um, I mean, I know uh, Stephen Schwartz, I think it started working on Wicked, Wicked at this point. Yeah. Um, maybe not quite, um, but Wicked would open like five years later. That's so weird. To, that's so weird to think about. Um, but uh, <laughs> It opened on my birthday, yeah, too. Th- did it really? Yeah. Are, October 30th? Yeah. Um, it's wi- So your Wicked Day, you get to share your birthday with Wicked. Oh. Day. Um, but yeah, I think generally that, you know, there are some kind of very nineties things socially about this that I think we have to like, you can still enjoy this movie and really understand what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and this was Disney heavily trying to improve on their issues of being called out for racist casting. Like there's no other way to talk about it than just purely racist casting. So, um, panic for a second I thought I stopped recording (laughs) Um, (laughs) but you know and so it's it's also hard to release a movie that's living in the legacy of like Beauty and the Beast Aladdin and Lion King like those three are huge it's so it's so hard but you know again they do a lot that's so good about this because they're doing everything they can to flip that Disney formula on its head Um, now story wise I think this movie actually tells this story this A plot, this B plot, in a really succinct and fun way with a cute romance thrown in there. But the romance is really so sparse that it makes sense they end up at the end together. One, because it's a Disney princess movie. But two, they don't focus on it. Like, we get those moments of, you can tell Shang is totally into this guy that's like, it's the mystery of the allure of like, oh, but you're awful, but like... (laughs) You're, you're ch- oh, you're you're emasculating me in front of everyone, and you're proving me wrong. Um, you're you're kind of small for a boy, but like, I you're you're very yeah. I'm oh oh no. Uh, and Mulan's like, I just don't want to die. Right. And my dragon's an asshole. Oh. Um. But yeah, it's really interesting, and that's why a lot of again. So this is the mid '90s. The there's a reason why I think a lot of people project queerness into this film specifically because one, it's easy to do Two, We had gone beyond the AIDS crisis and it was still heavily affecting so much of the world, but we were starting to recover. And for the first time we were starting to get queer characters in cinema and television who were not just AIDS victims. They weren't dying. They weren't these things. They were, diverse they were not white they were trying to change the norm we'd had my so-called life i believe it premiered at this point and you know again rent and things like that had 
taken the world by storm. And so I think it's easy because if this had been made 10 years later, I think they would have tried it a little more. I mean, Disney is still honestly, though they've always supported LGBT people inside, they've always been very publicly conservative and the fan base has largely always been very conservative for Disney, which I, I always have to remind myself, especially when I go to the parks and see a Trump shirt or oh, a yeah, I know. I'm just I like, I'm like <gasps> but then I see a cute... But then I see a cute queer couple holding hands with their kids, and I go, oh, it's fine. Everything's yeah. good. They've definitely gotten more liberal recently, in recent years. Oh, yeah. Well, in, like, the last 10 years, yeah. they've been giving donations every Pride Month to... And I will say, as someone who's been a cast member and will be a cast member again by the time this comes out, they always internally support cast members, and they were one of the first companies to introduce domestic partner beneships. They supported Pride. They supported... Um, they had works organizations. So there are volunteer organizations within Disney's cast members, and one of them is Pride. It is called Pride, and they do mm. so much local good work, and after Pulse happened, they stood by the Orlando community. And so it's one of those things that, like, for all of the bad that this company does, I always have to focus on these moments of good. And, like, that's why this year they did a plus-size spirit jersey, which they never do. And I bought it, even though it was $70. <laughs> and I don't particularly like rainbows. But it's because, one, they were giving a $150,000 donation out of all merch sold, which I think is really impressive. Now, granted, with a company this size, I was hoping... Uh, it would be a little bigger of a donation, but also they've been closed for like five months. So <laughs> I get it. Um, but I get where like people like you and I who are, um, cause you and I are about the same age, I think. And so like clawing for representation of people that look like us or identified as us was just so hard for so long that I think that's why, especially now looking back, like we want to, we claim Ursula, we claim Scar, we claim Li yeah. Xing and Mulan. It's like they're you know, there. They're just, <laughs> they, they are there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's those moments that like, you know, it's not implicitly in the story, but like if you watch it, even if you're not looking for it, it's there. They, they have clues. Um, There's plenty of clues. And something else they do in the story, one, they focus on telling this kind of very Chinese story, this Asian story. Um, but what they do is they made Li Shang really attractive. Um, and he's shirtless and he's like well built because there's always been this thing where I'm someone who I've, I've always found Asian men very attractive. I find a lot of people attractive just because people are beautiful. Um, but there's this thing in the media and in society where we emasculate Asian men and say that they're not attractive because they're less men or they can't be attractive. And this kind of runs in the opposite direction from that. And so even again, if they're not intentionally doing it, cause you need, you need a hunky <laughs> muscle queen as your lead. But like you could tell the gays were inside Disney because if you look at like Phoebus and you look at Hercules and you look at Li Shang and you look at Tarzan, <laughs> There's yeah. a reason why all the yeah. muscle queens come to gay days. No. <laughs> um, you know, but, it, you know, all joking aside, it's Cosplay one of those options that, now, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, oh, yes, because the, the muscular men have always had so few options. You know, I'm, so, I'm, just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, it's one of those things that whether it was intentionally or not, this movie does a lot of really beautiful things. I mean, also, it has Mulan saving the day. She's one of the few people that is the lead in her movie who actually 
takes into action and saves the day at the end of the day and doesn't have a man step in last second. So, like, she goes, like, her and Sean Yu going head to head. And I love the fan flip into the sword is just so good. So Um, good. And it's just, (laughs) story-wise, they really focus on... Oh, they just focus on these things that I really just, I really, really, really appreciate. I really appreciate. And I'm glad this was originally supposed to be a, um, a straight to movie, a straight to, to video movie called China doll oh, about an oppressed and miserable Chinese girl who's whisked <laughs> away by a British, a Prince charming, uh, to happiness in the West. Could you imagine? And, oh, God, and they oh, quickly man. were like, um, let's not, uh, <laughs> let's, let's really not. Um, so Disney executive Jay Dwyer, uh, brought in a San Suichi, um, around this time, uh, uh, to be like, Oh, and, uh, Thomas Schumacher was also there and was like, so if there are some additional stories that are like actually Chinese, like that we could tell, what do you think? And, and the, the song of Fa Mulan, uh, was pitched and ultimately Disney decided to combine the two projects. Um, though I really think it, it still sides more on the idea of her as an epic warrior and not being this miserable, wilted, fetishized thing. It's one of those things that I think if Jeffrey Katzenberg had still been there, she would oh, have yeah. been hot. She would have looked like Sailor Moon, and like it would have, she would have just been this wilting virginal flower, which is just there's this movie lacks the white Western fetishization of uh, Asian women in a way that I really do appreciate. Now that is as a white person, um, so I'm sure I if you are Chinese and Asian, you have a different perspective, um, which we would love to hear. But it's one of those things where it's the first time we don't see. Um, like the O senpai, the ditzy, ditzy mm-hmm. dumb uh, Japanese girl, which I really appreciate. For sure. I mean, it's nice to see somebody that's just like trying to be more true to herself. Right. I mean, and there's definitely there's definitely the element of honor, but she's finding herself in the process, and she, mm-hmm. she is juggling, you know, the, the society mm-hmm. thing. And, and, every, and every time she saved the day was because she relied on her sense of self. You know, she took yeah. the, she she took her intellect and she found another way around it than what people would normally expect, which is great. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so I, you know, there are those moments of like for her, really finding love is something that she's only doing through the matchmaker because it's expected as like heritage. But like she wants nothing to do with it, and she's just like, I'm good, y'all. I'm just gonna keep living. And that's this isn't I me. Really appreciate. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that, like you know she's obviously like I'm sorry. Half that camp is into Lee Shang and you can't tell me otherwise. <laughs> so, you know, even she, I love that she's like very forward focused, but she's also she's a little late, not lazy, but she's like she's a typical older teenager and I are 20 something. And I really appreciate that about her. And there is something there is something very quintessentially 90s girl about her in very many <laughs> ways. Um, but again, it is a movie of its time. Um, and so I really I thought I thought story wise, this works really beautifully, though. I did think something that was interesting was that um, uh, some of the, the folks that worked on Who Framed Roger Rabbit and things sat down and um, Cook offered Thomas Schumacher. There were two projects in development, a Scottish folktale with the dragon or Mulan. And um, Schumacher was like, well, aren't there dragons in Chinese mythology? And, and Brian Co- Barry Cook was like, yeah, well, yeah, but there's not one in this. And he was like, but what if there was? And they were like, but there's not. And Thomas Schumacher's like, what if there was? 
<laughs> and that's how Mushu came about. And that is why there's a dragon in Milan. And so, you know, it makes sense. But I would have liked to see... This is another one where I deeply would have loved to see read a lot of different versions of the script that went through production. Because we know that's just kind of what happens. And... Um, you know, uh, there were a lot of people that ended up working on this that actually were hoping to work on Hunchback or Lion King and ended up getting put on this instead. And so I I still think it's beautiful. I think it's stunning. And I think overall, they put together just such an amazing um, uh, thing. Though part of me also, I kind of want to know, like I love that um, Ming-Na Wen is Mulan, also because she, I believe she is Chinese. But like, I... Would have loved to see Leah Salonga actually voice Mulan, like just top to bottom. Um, they still owe her. Disney, if you are they out do. there, you need to listen. You owe Leah Salonga a full fucking movie. Make it a big. I was like, I can musical. do more than sing pretty, people. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, I, like, honestly, I thought she'd be a great Megara in, in Hercules. Because, yeah. like, Megara is, like, old. She doesn't have to be young. Uh, we don't. She doesn't have to be Krista Rodriguez. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's it's one of those things that, uh, it, um, you know, it was one of those things. Oh, a di- uh, apparently Leah Salonga was originally cast to do both, but they wanted a deeper, more grounded oh. speaking voice for Mulan um, to help Mulan impersonate Ping. Um, so Ming-Na Wen okay. was brought in for the speaking roles. And Wen herself landed the role after she narrated The Joy <laughs> Luck Club, which was a huge movie that was revolutionary for Asian-American actors at the time. Um, and, oh, I was right. They wanted Robin Williams for Mushu. <laughs> but Robin Williams uh, said fuck off. And then they wanted a Robin <laughs> Williams type. So apparently they got uh-huh. Eddie Murphy, which Eddie Murphy couldn't even be bothered to fly to Florida to record it. He recorded the entire movie at his mansion in New Jersey. I just... Oh, this research is making me feel things. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's something. It's it's something. Um, And apparently, Donny Osmond was completely cast to play Li Shang from the beginning. And then it was uh, decided that he shouldn't. And so they brought (laughs) Lady Wong in, but he was kept on to be the singing role, which is... Great, okay. I think. Yeah. So I think, honestly, I think, is there anything story-wise that just doesn't work for you or you think is a little bumpy? Oh, yeah, I have to think. Uh, I, I'm i sure there's something, but I can't think of it right now. I know I, wa- I would have liked to see more of the Zodiacs, because I know they, they had, like, the Chinese Zodiacs in there. Yeah, yeah. And there's and the spirits, the, you know. Uh-huh, yeah. I did, so, the okay, so you <clears throat> reminded me of the other thing that I just don't think lands well is the ancestors. Yeah, I think the ancestors. having them there is important, uh, but, like, why are they, like, New York Jews? Like, and, you know, and it's not, nothing against Jewish characters, obviously, but, like, the ancestors are animated to look not Asian. They're not consistent. And they sound not Asian. Yeah. yeah, they're not consistent. And while they are funny, you know, that's Disney doing the, like, let's, let's, let's pump in comedy wherever mm-hmm. we can find it. And um, it, it's one of those things that while it's funny and while I enjoy those moments, it actually takes away from the severity of the moment. Um and uh, yeah, it's it is it is interesting, and so I yeah yeah it's it's fine. It is it's all fine. But again, <laughs> there are things that even if it was done five or ten years later would have been done a little differently. I think, um, which is 
you know, it's fine. It's all, it's all fine. It's all fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think, and the cast is good. I can't say anything negative about this cast. Really great they voice work, really great acting. Great yeah. Great voice work. Disney does this thing. And it started with Vincent Price during The Great Mouse Detective, Ugh. where they, they treat directing voice as if they are playing these characters and not as if they're behind a microphone. And some actors do it effectively, some don't. But I like to think these actors in this movie, it doesn't feel like they were just doing disjointed lines in the studio. Like they feel very connected and they feel very deep. And I am emotionally connected to every single character on that screen. Like every single one. Or I'm terrified of all of the villains in this. <laughs> but they're another one where it is a non... Like, you have no compassion for this villain. There's no, there's not a bone in my body that doesn't want to watch him die the most brutal, disgusting death. Um, which he gets blown up. Yay. Thanks, Disney. <laughs> I mean, they but always, they always like, teeter along violent deaths. Yeah. I mean... I mean, did you, with, did you see Little Mermaid 3? No. <laughs> no. But... <laughs> <laughs> Listen though, Jimmy Jimmy was on the show and we did Cinderella 3 and I thoroughly loved that fucking movie. So Cinderella 3 Cinderella the- 3 is so good. Cinderella it's 2 is crap. So but Cinderella 3 is so good. good. Like, it's so good. I stand. I stand Cinderella. Like, get 3. Cinderella action star. Come on. Like, like this Yes! Is, oh like, yes. Yes, I love Cinderella um, 3. Yeah, but Little yes, Mermaid 3 do your thing. Little Mermaid 3 is good too. It's Ariel's it's a prequel. It's Ariel's beginning, but um they show her mother die in it. Or well, kind of, they have her mother die in it, and uh, it's kind of a very. Uh, I mean, it's, it's an off, it's an off-screen death, but you know they don't show it, but they they you know of insinuate course. it, and so you, and it's kind of graphic when you think about when you picture what it could have been. Ooh. So, uh, Ooh. yeah, but Ooh. I would recommend that because you get to see her mom, you get to her sisters are a really big part in it, so they have more characterization mm-hmm. in it, and yes, uh, it's nice. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Oh, I found <laughs> out why Stephen Schwartz didn't do this movie. It's because of Prince of Egypt. Um. Yeah, that Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, after he left Disney, was like, yo, Steven, want to come do this biblical thing? And he was like, I do biblical musicals sometimes. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, uh, oh, and so, oh, so Schwartz, oh, it's, oh, I'm going to have to get into this <laughs> in the pre-show. Oh, man. I don't know if anyone notices, I don't do the pre-show before we do these recordings because research um yeah yeah no it was this whole political thing where because steven schwartz likely was like i gotta go where the money is i need i need money y'all i haven't written a new musical in years (laughs) magic show isn't exactly being produced everywhere and pippin rights don't exactly get me money Um, (laughs) we got magic to do wait did you just sing a little bit of lion tamer i did Oh, I, I love you so yeah, much. You know. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. oh, when I went to Scamda, uh, one of my <laughs> best friends there did Lion Tamer, and it was so good. Um, let me, I will say, Magic Show has some bops. Yeah. So for anyone, okay, tangent, tangent time. I talked to I said we're going to go into tangents. Because um, we will have to talk musical theater at some point with this because we have to, and it's Disney. So, um, Stephen Schwartz wrote a musical in the 70s around a magician who was doing live magic and they wanted to put a show on Broadway that was a musical with live magic. And so he wrote this night, it was like a 90 minute show, which was unheard of at the time called Magic Show. David Ogden Styers from Beauty and the Beast <laughs> was the, the ringmaster. It was all these things. And there are some, there's this cute, cute song that on uh, an album called the Schwartz album, Kristen Chenwith sings called Lion Tamer. 
about how the magician's assistant just wants to be noticed and just wants to be the <laughs> lion tamer. Um, and there's this great song called West End Avenue that is so good. Oh, it is so phenomenal. And um, and then Solid Silver Platform Shoes. They're all bops. The rest of the show is not super great. But those three songs, so good. Yeah. Alice, Ripley does, <laughs> Alice Ripley does West End Avenue on... on um, uh, oh, and Style. I believe the song Style is from that as well. Listen, Magic Show's got some bops. Go listen to it. But so Stephen Schwartz went to do Prince of Egypt. And uh, Peter Schneider, who is the head of uh, Disney Animated Features, and Michael Eisner were like, yo, if you do not... Like, they, they threatened to pull his name from both Hunchback and Pocahontas. Um, and uh, he, so he had written songs for the original version of the movie called China Doll, which was the wilting, sad Chinese girl. <laughs> um, and, uh, oh, oh, God, there's a, oh, oh, there's a whole thing about Disney. Disney music executives heard a, um, a Matthew Wilder's a demo for a stage adaptation of Anne Rice's Cry to Heaven and selected Wilder to replace Stephen Schwartz. And uh, David Zippel was brought in in 97. So a year before this came out, David Zippel was writing the fucking lyrics. I mean, this is like Coco. They recorded the Coco recording literally three months before it was out in theaters. Insane. Like, it is <laughs> wild. Um, oh. <laughs> originally, Mushu had a song, too, that got dropped because of Eddie Murphy uh, playing the character. Um <laughs> Though apparently at one point, uh, uh, Danny Elfman was going to write the score as well, which is kind of strange. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so some fun things. This also is how the fun world facts. got to know Chris. Fun facts: the world got to know Christina Aguilera through oh, yes. her pop version of "Reflection." Um, and so, like this movie, like oh, it's so good, and like the cast, the cast is just really great. Um, and I would say. Uh, especially my my more social justice minded people, you have to watch this with a grain of salt with some of the things, but like, it still stands up. It's really really great. I love this movie. It's so much fun. Um, and so yeah, I don't think honestly with casting or like the final product of like voice, visual, and soundtrack because the score. We talked about the score earlier, but I want to talk about it again. The score sells these giant action scenes again in a way that you only expect to see in a live action movie, and it helps sell the show so much. And I just love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Yes. Yeah, so I, I love love. I love love. I love love. Oh, Paul. Oh, Bobby. I love love. We love the Disney. Let's go to yes. Disney, kids. Um, <laughs> so, you know, this is, uh, again, uh, where we normally ask how it stacks up in 2019 and 2020. Well, 2020, 2021, I guess. Um, and I think, again, there are some, some comments, some humor that are like, oh, um, that, you know, but it's fine. But overall, I think this movie is still watchable. I don't think there will ever. It definitely does. Yeah, Yeah. and I definitely don't think there will be a time where people aren't belting uh, reflection and making man out of you. So um, yeah, (laughs) they have it at work. Um, They play it in our playlist at work. So I like, love that. That's so good. Well, it's like such a pump up song. Like I gotta tell you, I've been working for Instacart and I start my shift every day with Rain on Me by Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande <laughs> because I need to have my life. Um, yeah, and so, you know, this is typically where we would talk about uh, Disney's living in a realm of where we're getting live action remakes. Well, 
we're getting a live action remake. We've actually seen multiple trailers. The movie should have been out already, but Miss Rona fucked that up. Oh, Miss um, Rona. So Mulan is still slated, I believe, now for a July, right? No- November, July, July or November, because <laughs> I. F- well, so the thing also is they haven't talked about Jungle Cruise, and Jungle Cruise was supposed oh, yeah, to come yeah. out in July, and so I don't know if they got bumped. What happened? But like, they decided, and early on, Disney fans, being Disney fans. We're Disney fans, and we're pieces of shit on the internet, and when they found out there wasn't music, and it was an all-Asian cast, and there was no Mushu, and no Li Shang, they were like, why am I even going to bother to see the movie? And I, I always get a little bit out of shape, but I was like, you know what? When they were like, we want a true action f- movie, and I went, oh yeah, it makes sense not to make it a musical. Like, it makes sense at that point to to cut those things that you put in a kid's yeah. movie. Because I don't see this live action as being a kid's movie. You have to find the mood that works for what the story you're trying to tell. And, exactly. And, you know, I, I kind of, I didn't really, because I don't love all these live action remakes. There's, I'm not. Neither do I. Neither do I. <laughs> um, but I do want to give them a chance. You know, I, I, yes. I, I want them to prove me wrong. So I will always right. have a little bit of uncertainty and a little bit of reluctance. Mm-hmm. But I always have hope so <laughs> though i will say typically the trailer tell the trailers have been pretty good to tell us if a live action movie is going to be good or bad yeah or if we need to be uh, re- uh, apprehensive and like i feel pretty good about know, this one i do, okay so let's get into it when I you think. watched the trailers what were your some of your reactions just because I mean, again it's totally different though they had that big epic version of reflection playing in the background and i was like oh yes okay great awesome um but like what were some of your thoughts on seeing this kind of it's the best way to describe it is is a genre film it is a martial arts action genre film of in the likes of like memoirs of a geisha and uh crutching tiger hidden dragon like it feels like this big produced uh thing and because of the because of the tone of the trailers i'm just like okay i think i'm on board because i feel having a little Mm -hmm. bit of a darker tone um Mm -hmm. and having you know that that feel that that martial arts because I like martial arts movies too. Um, having that feel, I'm just like, ooh, I, I feel I yeah. feel like a little bit of there's enigma thing. There's like the mystery yeah. to it. Um, yeah. So I like I like having and I like it feels like there's more more opportunities for badassness. <laughs> which, yeah. which well, <laughs> and, and I like that there's like the 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 witch the soothsayer that is with. Um, Shan Yu, um, and there I know there's a phoenix at some point in the movie because it was featured with her doll, and so they're playing with more of the actual side of mysticism of the story of Mulan, and so I'll be interested also because it was a predominantly Chinese cast, uh, Chinese writers, like they went to the source and are doing a much better job. Mm. Again, they're seeing the criticism, and so I'm hopeful of 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 this. I'm very hopeful. So I, you know. I think it, I, I, when I finally saw it in movie theaters, my heart raced and that's always a really good, that's always a really good sign for mm-hmm. me, I think. Um, so you do musical theater. Yes. I work in theater a lot. Um, MTI, which is Musical Theater International for any musical theater moguls out there, is a rights holding organization that holds the rights to do musicals. And... Uh, you know, a lot of the musicals. And for most people that don't know, you have to, like, apply to get the rights to a show and you have to pay. It's part of this thing. Um, well, MTI started doing junior and school editions of shows. And they started working with Disney 
to have junior versions of shows that have never been shows <laughs> before. They're typically 45 to 60 minutes. They're made for small kids that you can cram 60 on stage so you can put butts in seats. Because that's, I mean, that's why you do theater with kids in them. Because every kid guarantees at least 20 kid butts in seats. Mm-hmm. So, like... That's why community theater does Annie with 50 people. Like, you just, you do it. I can't tell <laughs> yeah. you how many times I've done Annie. Um, and Gypsy. God, I love them both. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's the thing of MTI for years has had a Mulan Jr. And I, I can't tell you, I've never known a friend who's actually Asian or Asian American who's, like school or community group has done it it's always really white like yeah. a really white mulan and so i'm bringing this up just as one as a caveat of like don't do shows that you don't have proper casting for don't cast a white girl as marie and west side story do not do the all white ones on this island don't I'm do all white hairspray i haven't seen that all white hairspray like what let's just not do hairspray anymore hear me out everyone let's just okay. not do hairspray you're not progressive for doing hairspray because John Waters said it himself, even racist like hairspray. Mm. So um, we also did it at University of Florida last year and it was very controversial and I was not a fan. But yeah, they're just, you know, other things. And I know you want to do Disney because it sells, but like it's a thing. Just like think about these decisions you're doing because it also then teaches the kids. But my question, what would you, what are some things that you think they would need to traverse to make it an actual so Frozen has just been on Broadway. Hercules was in the park last year um, with their talks of a Beauty and the Beast revival coming up. You know, we've had Beauty and the Beast. We've had Little Mermaid. We've had Aida. We've had um, Mary Poppins. Uh, we had Tarzan, even as bad as it was. We've had Hunchback. Um, what are some things that you think as a performer, as like a theater artist, you think they would need to like work on or traverse that you would want to, that you think they would need to rework to make this work as a stage musical? Oh, Okay. Uh, well, they probably will have to get deeper into the politics of it, into the into yes. the, what the war is really about. Because um, we, now we just kind of know, oh, Huns are bad, they're going <laughs> to in the movie. So they need to probably explore that, you know, flesh out that mm-hmm. uh, dynamic. Um, let's see. Uh, the, the probably... Because it's definitely going to be... Because you want to have some lightheartedness and seriousness parts. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I definitely think you should keep the three friends. It's definitely because, the three friends, yeah. Well, because, like, there's something that worked really well in Shampoo, Aladdin. is Ling, his th- and Yao. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, in Aladdin, he has three friends, and they make a huge Bad change in the story. Sto- okay, sorry. I'm singing, yeah. I was singing the song. <laughs> I, oh, I love Aladdin. I stand Aladdin. Aladdin's, uh, well, visually, I love Aladdin. Um, yeah. the, the musical's so good. Uh, but, like, you know, so it's, I think, I agree with you that I think... You need some comedy. And so, like, for me, I think the friends have to stay um, in a way. But I think there's, well, the guys that become her friends. But I think there's a way to do them again where they're not what they are now. Um, yeah. Sorry, keep going. I, I, wanna, keep, I, I think I want to have, um, I want to explore a little bit, maybe have, like, a scene or something with her family. Um, yes. Have, have mm-hmm. their emotions, you know, more well-known. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That would be interesting, you know, because, you know, her... Her grandma and her her, her dad, you know, because you you once she leaves, you don't ever see them until the end of the movie again. Mm-hmm. So to have them see what they're dealing with while she's gone, 
and what kind of mm-hmm. you know that would be that'd be really good. Oh yeah, I would like that. <laughs> yeah, it's with that. I thought about. I would love to see a scene with her father. The first time her father is in the like we get the fun opening number with her like waking up and doing whatever, and then we see her father, and then like everything glows supernatural, and then we see everything come to life, and the ancestors are around him, mm. and we see them like seated above him. I want to see the father actually interact. The Having father, that, the yeah. grandmother, uh, interact with the ancestors like maybe Mulan doesn't hear them that's a thing that she's just it's a generational gap where she's like oh I get that we have to but like what is all this honor about anyway um and then maybe they're there throughout and that's how the father finds out that she's gone to war or not that how she finds out but like that's you know there are just those moments of like you can use that to check in and see more of the family um, also, you get some nice big ensemble sounds the more people you have on stage. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would I would love to see how they would do the avalanche. Oh yeah, how From they would make that battle point. work. Well, and I think they could do some really interesting things if you combined aspects of like Beijing and Peking opera. Like they've done some beautiful. Like they were doing technological things in the like. 15 and 1600s that America wasn't doing until the 1940s. So like, and it was just very simple things that you do with like a pulley, uh, you know, pulley system and things. But like, I would love to see them kind of tap into the, yeah. Well, yeah. I love, listen, I love oh, a periactive. I know that's, that's so cool. <laughs> it's so, well, it's so good. And it's a really effective use of space, especially in small theaters. Um, and so I would love to see, if they either made it look like it was coming physically coming out of a screen, one of the, the screens or a, a painting physically see. And so, you know, I think you, you could do some really things by leaning into like Chinese tradition of theater and Eastern theater and educate people in a way. I think, I think if you leaned into this, it could be such a cool production. Um, uh, and I think it could be cool. I don't honestly think we need a musical of this. I just thought I wanted to throw this question. It'd be fun to explore. Do, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. 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 And you do musical theater and it's fun to talk about. Um, but you know, I would like to see Disney actually tackle some original things on stage. Cause like Aida is such a beautiful show though. It is based on an opera. I, you know, I would just, I would like to see some of that instead of like, let's make a, a live musical of an animated film that works. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, I think, I would love more to choice. see some more original things. Yeah. 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 Something, something more choice out there. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm so happy you pitched this movie um, to, to us and everyone out there. And I was happy to have you on the show today. Yeah. It was uh, before, great. Before we and I learned a lot. Too. Oh, good. I, <laughs> like, I, thanks I for the research. That. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> um, so are there any other thoughts that you had about this movie? Anything you else wanted to talk about while we're kind of, while we're plugging through? Um, it's okay if I, you don't. Right. No, it's, it's good. I think I'm good. <laughs> Great. Amazing. Okay. So we're on the internet now. A lot more of the life is on the internet. Where can these lovely people find you on the interwebs? Okay. I mean, probably the, my most popular thing is the Instagram. That's where I'm on the most. That's the KGZ87. So K-J-E-E-Z-Y-87. And that's... Uh, I just have a whole bunch. It's an eclectic mix of all kinds of stuff. Everything that I do. So I got my modeling. I got my theater on there. I got... Uh, cartoons that I think are funny, you know, <laughs> just random stuff. Um, and then I have my cosplay page on Facebook called Flamewater Cosplay, uh, where I just post all my cosplay pictures. And uh, yeah, so it'll be fun. We love that. Amazing. So go check him out. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm starting to do this, a new thing where it's, I post one last question. 
if you could tell one, if you could have Disney tell one story that they haven't told yet, what is it? So something that they can adapt or just a general story? Either. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> I... I don't know. I mean... Oh, so many <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? <laughs> they should make Honey, I Shrunk the Kids musical. <laughs> Oh my but. god, that would be so funny. Oh, that would be actually really interesting. Because like, then what? you can make everything grow up around. That could be really yeah, fun. Yeah, that'd be a really actually. fun musical. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a story uh, for this. Oh. No. Oh, what's a, what's a story that I really like that hasn't been adapted yet? I have to think back to uh, English just, classes. Yeah, you say that, and all I can think of now is Rob McClure as Wayne uh, Zelensky. Uh, yeah, Rob McClure is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he'd be so. That'd he be would still be so him. good. Yeah, I mean, he would. just bring the Beetlejuice Adam back and just make it a little bit nerdier. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Either that or Hunter Foster would be great too. He's a little older, so that would be mm-hmm. it. Would make sense him having teenagers because Rob is still young. So, but uh, but yeah. Uh, something that hasn't been adapted yet. There's everything. Everything's been adapted. It seems. So I'm trying to figure. Yeah, that. it's I don't true. Know. <laughs> or maybe something else that was adapted poorly by somebody else that you would love to see Disney take a crack at. Avatar. Oh, The Last Airbender? Yes. Oh, I would, that would I'd be I'd be interested cool. to see Disney's take on it. I mean, it's it's so yeah. it's really hard because it's so perfect already. The, show, the TV show is so perfect, so I don't yeah. know how they I'm, would... But, I'm um, watching through it for the first time now. Okay. How far are you? And uh, <laughs> I'm almost done with season one. So. All right, because I mean, I know it's it's just so good. It's just so good. <laughs> I've seen episodes on and off throughout, but this is my first time of like sitting down and watching it, like canonically from start to finish. Okay, and then you have to watch Legend of Korra too. People, oh, that... I've seen all of Legends of Korra. Okay, I've seen all of okay. Legends of Korra. Um, that is a beautiful gay wonderland. Um, yes, yes. Uh, um, also... But it's really cool to watch all that, all the Avatar, and then go into that. It's like, oh, yes, yes. Um, yeah, I, I'm, gonna watch, I'm gonna rewatch Korra. Yeah, yeah. Because the live action movie though, Avatar was like just betrayal. My heart was well, like that. Well, dead. and that was uh, the, that was my first experience with the franchise. So, <laughs> so I went into the, into the theater. I was like, had such high hopes. I'm like, it's gonna be good, you guys. I promise, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. And I'm like, okay, you can't even say people's names, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> and then, and I'm like, why do you? What is this acting? What is this writing? What, you know? Oh, you're gonna throw a rock, but it's like. Literally the size of your hand. Like, yeah. I don't know. It was just the biggest betrayal I've ever felt in my life. So, uh. <laughs> I, I, I kind of agree. I would like to see Disney tackle, or even if they just use that animation style, I would mm-hmm. really, I would like that. I yeah. think that would be really interesting. Especially now that Disney Plus is doing such amazing storytelling in the way that they're doing projects and things. I think that could be really cool. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. We'll have to have you on again. This was so much fun. Did you know Rob Thomas has been writing since the mid-90s? The Matchbox 20 guy? No, the guy behind Veronica Mars. Oh, and iZombie. And Cupid, Party Down, the Cupid reboot. I haven't seen those. Me neither, but we should watch them and then talk about them on our podcast. Yes, we could call it the Rob Thomas. No, not that one. Robcast. Every other Tuesday with Alex and MJ. 
Find us at notthatrobcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Dull Whip and Dreams podcast. Pride Summer is still happening in our online store, so check it out to help us make a big donation at the end of the summer. A big thank you to certain POV media for having us on your network and the support of all the amazing creative people there. As always, you can find us across all social media on Facebook at Dull Whip and Dreams Podcast, on Instagram at Dull Whip and Dreams, on Twitter at Dull Whip Podcast, and there's a link tree to all of those on our Facebook and Instagram. I want to thank all of our amazing patrons over at Patreon. We have some huge upcoming projects, and the Dolphin Dreams family is growing. We'll soon be offering five new podcasts in the coming year. Check out our Patreon and subscribe for only $2 or more a month, where you'll get exclusive new content, Patreon-only bonus episodes, I promise they're coming, as well as discount codes and free merchandise exclusive to our Patreons. A huge thank you to Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast for the music in today's episode. Until next time, may your days be filled with Dole Whip and dreams. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.